you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 2 uh, we've been walking in this brand new section in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, which begins in verse 1 and goes down through verse 10. And uh, what I'd like to do is just read the first few verses, just so it's in our mind. Again, Paul is talking about the life that we had lived prior to, to Jesus Christ. And uh, this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you <clears throat> were dead in your trespasses and sins, and when you once walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air— the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we also once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What a great passage. Again, Paul is setting up a contrast, and he's saying this is what your life looked like before Jesus Christ, and that is not what your life is to look like now, <laughs> just for clarity's sake. <laughs> That's important. And uh, last week, when we were looking at the passage, uh, we were looking at the fact that God is all about life, that he's really reached into your spiritual deadness and yanked you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life, which is absolutely amazing. And his agenda in your life is life. Now, what I wanted to do this week is actually begin to walk through Paul's statements uh, of what he's saying in verses 1 through 3. And it's going to be a little depressing due to the fact that we're talking about the sins and the death and, and, and how we've lived in the past. But I think it's important to walk through this, one, because Paul gives it, two, because sometimes when we realize the, the depth of our sin, it allows us to realize the grandness of the redemption that Jesus has purchased on our, in our life. So what I'd like to do then is just start walking through this. In verse 1, Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, we recognize that we were all born with this sin nature, uh, thanks to Adam and Eve. Right? We, we have this propensity towards sin. And of course, you can't really blame Adam and Eve because truth be told, you've sinned enough where you, you have to take credit for what you've done. But the reality is, is that we have this spiritual deadness. We have this trespasses and sin stuff in us. In fact, you know the verses really well, but Romans 3.23 Right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, it's interesting, if you go back a page to Ephesians 1, uh, when we were walking through this in verse 7, Paul says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins according to the riches of his grace. And you get this idea that here is Jesus who is giving us redemption and forgiveness. And why, why is he giving us redemption and forgiveness? Well, it, it is because of the fact that we need redemption and forgiveness, that, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we, we have this great need. We're shackled to sin itself. And so what is Jesus doing? Oh, he is giving us the redemption and the forgiveness that we desperately need. So again, Paul in chapter 2, verse 1, is talking about this contrast, and he says, do you know what your life was like before Jesus? He says, you were dead. Not, we're not talking physical death, we understand that, but we're talking spiritual death. And in your spiritual deadness, you weren't just, you know, you're moaning, you're almost dead. You were down to it, pushing up daisies, food for worms, you were dead spiritually. 
And what has God done? God has really reached into your deadness and yanked you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life. That is amazing. Because that is, that is indescribable. That is impossible. You cannot do that on your own. Which is why he says in verse 5, uh, this is a gift. This, is, this grace has caused you to be saved. But there's this idea that God has really reached into your deadness and brought about life. But how was I before Jesus? Oh, I was dead in trespasses and sins. Now, Paul begins to flesh out what that actually means in verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, he says, You once formerly walked according to the course of the world. Uh, the word there for walked, it, it does have this idea of to physically walk, but in this context, it's really talking about your manner of life. It's the way you, you live. He says, you know how you lived? You lived according to the course of this world. In other words, you took yourself and you placed yourself under the authority, the identity, the mindset, uh, the agenda, the principles of the world. So you looked at the world and the world says, uh, this is what success looks like. He says, great, I'm going to live this way. The world says, hey, this is pleasure, so, and this is how you get pleasure. He says, great, I'm going to live according to that thought process. And how did, how did you live? You lived as one of the world. You were identified with the world. Isn't it interesting that when you look at the creation account in Genesis, our identity was not supposed to be the world. Our identity was supposed to be Jesus, or in, in that context, God himself, right? The triune God, that God made us in his image, and as such, we were to be identified by him. Or at, sorry, when people looked at us, they were to see him, not us. That, that if something was going to identify us, it was not the things around us. It was not even our activities. It was the presence of, presence of God. In fact, that is what Jesus is restoring. Jesus is restoring this identity thing so that when, when the world looks upon you, they don't see you, they see him. Because he is to be our identity. He is to be our life. But Paul says in our passage that you have lived according to the mindset, the thought, the attitude of the world. And so you have taken yourself and you've identified yourself with the lifestyle of the world. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that the moment I identify myself with the world, it is so much easier just to engross myself in that reality. I don't know if that made sense. In other words, how I see myself and my identity changes how I live. Uh, when, <clears throat> you look at this alcoholic, and this alcoholic says, well, I, you know, I'm a struggling alcoholic. You know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Well, how long have you been recovering? Uh, 25 years. Well, how, how long have you not had alcohol? 20 years. Well, then you're not an alcoholic. And isn't it interesting that because your identity is stuck in that realm, you actually keep struggling with alcohol. But what if your identity changed? See, it's interesting to me that when my identity is the things of the world, it is so much easier for me to engross myself in the things of the world. But what if my identity was Jesus? You realize that if my identity is Jesus, then lust and greed and pride and, and whatever it may be should not have a, a stranglehold on my life. Why? Because that's not my identity. Just a random side thought. <laughs> Paul says, Hey, you know how you are not to live now in Jesus Christ? You are not to live identified, living under that authority of that course of the world stuff. Now, let me just give you a few verses. <clears throat> Romans, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans 8, 6. Paul says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, <clears throat> but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
Uh, in the New King James, he, he uses the word carnally minded is, is how it's translated. To be carnally minded, to, to have that carnal thought process, it's that worldly mentality. What does that produce? Death. But to literally have the mind of Christ, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, produces life and peace. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you, you know it well, but I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's that uh, it's, it's the word that where we get the word metamorphosis, right? It's that caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And Paul says, hey, be transformed. Be like this butterfly that's coming out of the chrysalis season by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. First uh, John chapter 2, John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, for clarity's sake, right? we're not talking like, trees and bushes and nature and birds and stuff, right? He's not talking about that kind of world stuff. In fact, God made the world. He called it good. Praise the Lord, right? Food is not evil. Praise the Lord, <laughs> right? I mean, so we're not talking that kind of the world stuff that you see, right? Just like in flesh, when, when Paul's often talking about the flesh, he's not, not talking about your physical flesh, right? God made your physical flesh. He called that good. <clears throat> what he's talking about, John here in, in the passage, or even Paul, when he talks about the flesh, he's talking about that that worldly, fleshly, selfish, self-produced, carnal, it, it's that, that attitude, that mindset. And John says, hey, do not love just that twisted propensity of the world. Hey, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So how, how does John describe these things of the world? He says it's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Isn't it interesting that almost every temptation comes back to one of those three things? How, when you look at the original temptation with Eve in the garden, right? it says that she saw the fruit and she lusted after it and she partook it. Right? She thought, well, hey, I, I, could, I could be my own God. I can pull this thing off. And she was, in fact, giving into the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, when you look at the temptations of Jesus, what was Satan trying to get Jesus to do, right? It was stuff about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when you look at the temptations that besiege you, you realize that more often than not, it's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And John says that stuff is of the world. And so do not love the world or the things in the world. For when you love those things, the love of the Father is not in you. And then listen to his concluding statement in verse 17. He says, The world is passing away along with its de these desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I love what Amy Carmichael, uh, she used to quote John Tavler all the time. She said, <clears throat> A pure heart is one to which all that is not of God is strange and jarring. In other words, one of the ways you can tell that God is changing your heart and changing your affections is that when you look at the things of the world, they just... They, are, they just don't have the appeal. They just, it's like, why would I want that stuff? Even the stuff that I used to engross myself with and the stuff that I would just, oh, I just want it. Oh, I want it, want it. She says, hey, how do you know that God's changing your heart? How do you know that he's, he's sanctifying you? How do you? How do you know that he's bringing about holiness? Well, it's because you look on that stuff and you just go, I just don't want it anymore. It's just, it's not appealing. 
It's just, ugh. it's like that old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. <clears throat> Paul says, you know how you've been living before Jesus? He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You lived according to the course of the world. And he continues in verse 2, and he says, you lived according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, don't go crazy with this. <laughs> I'll try not to create a hole <laughs> that we fall into here. It's interesting, when you look at this idea of the prince of the power of the air, you realize Paul is talking about the demonic stuff. In fact, he, he, he uses this language several times in even Ephesians in three, uh, Ephesians 3.10 and Ephesians 6, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, the mights, and the dominions in the heavenly realms, right? There, there's this idea that there's a spiritual battle going on. And we know that biblically that the, the prince of the power of the air or the prince of the, the power of the, of the age, which is sometimes how it's translated, we know that's Satan, now, for clarity's sake, what Paul is not saying is, oh, yeah, you're possessed by Satan, right? Satan is one individual. He cannot possess everybody. <laughs> so just for clarity's sake, it's not saying, hey, every time I sin, I'm, I'm possessed with a demon. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, though, is that there is this authority, that word for power, right? The prince of the power of the age or the air, right? It's this idea of authority. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, do you know how you lived Apart from Jesus, you lived under this authority of the demonic. That, hey, when you were engaging in sin, what were you doing? You were taking your life and putting it under this authority, under this banner, under this umbrella of, of the demonic. That you were aligning yourself with the character of Satan. Hey, when I participate in a righteousness, what am I doing? I am aligning myself with the character of God. So you get this idea. It's not that you're possessed by a demon. We're not. Yes, that, 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 that's possible, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, when I live in sin, I'm literally coming under the authority, the influence, and the spirit of just this perverse mentality that is in rebellion, shaking their fists in God's face, which is a demonic attitude. Uh, I love how Ian Thomas describes this uh, in his book, uh, Indwelling Life of Christ. He kind of explains it this way. L listen to this. This is good. Uh, Ian Thomas says, every act of sin has its origin in Satan. It is his character incarnate. 1 John 3, 8 says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Likewise, Ian Thomas goes on, every act of righteousness has its origin in God. It is his character incarnate. To be dominated by the flesh is to be dominated by the devil. And to be dominated by the Holy Spirit is to be dominated by God. What is this flesh of what the Bible speaks? The flesh is that perverted principle in human beings which perpetuates Satan's proud hostility and enmity against God. In our fallen condition, every person's soul is dominated by the flesh and destitute of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what Ian Thomas is saying is, you need Jesus. Because hey, when I live in sin, I am destitute of the Spirit of God, and I'm literally propagating and dominated by this authority thing that is demonic. Again, I'm not saying I'm, you're, you're possessed by a demon. I'm saying you're coming under the authority of the demonic. That, that, that same character, that same attitude, that same lifestyle, that same rebellion, you are aligning yourself with, you're identifying yourself with, and you're saying, yep, I'm going to live how I want to live. Now, Paul calls that sons of disobedience. 
that when I participate in that attitude and that life and that style, that is a lifestyle of disobedience. In fact, it's interesting when he says the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, the word there for works is where we get the word, it's the Greek word energio, but it's, it's where we get the word energize. Do you know what this perverse authority and spirit is doing? It's literally, for those who live in sin in the world, it is literally energizing their life for sin. It's energizing their life in rebellion. And they've come under this authority structure of rebellion and sin and just this demonic character. And they're saying, yes, I'm against God. And that spirit then is energizing and producing these, what Paul calls the sons of disobedience. Isn't that a scary thought? Uh, Romans 14, 23 says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I've been meditating upon that lately. And it's just, it's this, I don't know. It, it is so convicting in my life. Because you recognize, biblically, sin is not deeds. I mean, there are deeds that are sin, right? Paul gives a whole list of deeds that are sin. But there is sin that is beyond deeds. Biblically, anytime I do something that's outside of Jesus, anytime I do something that I produce in and of myself, and that is not done in faith, biblically, that is sin. So good things could be sin. Yeah. Preaching a sermon could be sin. Isn't that a scary thought? So here I am, I'm, I'm given the message. If, if I came and I, was, and I was producing the message out of myself and I was not speaking this message in faith, then though God may use that in your life for me to sin. Praying could be sin. That, hey, if I'm praying to gain your attention and I'm, and I'm praying and it's not in faith, then that act of prayer, though it's good, is sin. So sin is not a, do's, a list of do's and don'ts. Sin is this motive. It's an attitude thing that God wants to deal with on the insides of who we are. And isn't it interesting, when, when, I, when I live over here according to the course of the world, I'm under the authority of the demonic and I'm aligning myself with this attitude of, hey God, I don't need you. I can pull this off myself. Hey, I'll, hey, I'll self-produce this. What do we call that? Sin. Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 8. Paul says, for those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, the, for, <clears throat> for, sorry, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you realize that there's this enmity, there's this battle of fl flesh and spirit? And they do not go together. And I'm either going to live under the authority and the, and the, the boundaries of sin and that influence of the demonic and, and that character, or I'm going to come under the influence and the authority of Jesus Christ and live in righteousness sourced by the Spirit of God. There's only two options biblically. Now, if you think that was bad, look at verse 3. <clears throat> Paul goes on with all that. And he says, not only all that was happening, but among them, we also once lived in the lust of our flesh. Uh, the word there, lust of our flesh, it, it does have this sexual idea. Obviously, there's the idea of the, the lust. But biblically, lust is beyond the whole sexuality thing. Right? I, can look, I, can, <clears throat> I can look at anything and lust after it. It says that Eve lusted after the fruit on the tree. Right? It, it's, it's something that I... I absolutely have to have, I crave, I become obsessed. I'm single-minded over one thing that is actually not mine. And anytime that happens, you realize that's, that's sin. 
But Paul says, I lived in that reality, lived in the lust of the flesh. Uh, that word there for lived or conducted ourselves, it's used 11 times in the New Testament, and it's often translated like live or to conduct. But the idea is, this is so neat. Uh, I was giving Eric a hard time the other day because Eric likes to pace. And I says, do you know what this word in Greek actually means? This word lived or conducted yourself, it literally means to literally pace in place. Isn't that awesome? So here's this idea in Greek of how did I live? Oh, I lived, I was walking back and forth in the lust of my flesh. That, that the actual idea, if you, if you get to the heart of it, it's almost like this idea of you, you, you're turned upside down, you're, 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 over, you're, over, you're flipped over and over and over. Uh, the illustration I keep going to is, uh, is a washing machine, right? You, you look at a washing machine, you throw, you throw a garment in, and the, and the shirt is just going pump, 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 And it has no control. It has no ability. It's just it's being turned upside down. Paul says, you know what's happening in your life? You are pacing back and forth. It's like you've been thrown into a washing machine called sin, and you have no control over this. You may not even want to be doing this, but it, it's, it's, it's acting upon you, and it's turning you upside down. In fact, <clears throat> for all the nerds out there, uh, the word there, lived, lived or conducted, is an aorist passive indicative, which probably means nothing to anybody, but uh, the aorist has this idea of don't worry about when it's taking place. It's not past, present, or future. It's just focus on the action. It's an indicative, which means this is not up for question. This isn't maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't happen. It's a simple statement of fact. And it's interesting that it's passive because I'm the one receiving the action. I'm not the one doing the sin. I, all this stuff is coming upon me. That, that I am, I'm being thrown into a washing machine and it's flipping me upside down. And I don't, I don't want to be there, but I have no control over it. Haven't you ever felt that before? I've talked to an alcoholic and I'm just like, why, why do you still drink? He's like, I don't want to, but I just, I cannot help myself. I just, I just, I hate it, but yet I have to do it. What is he doing? He's pacing back and forth in this lust of the flesh stuff. He's, He's been taken and thrown to a washing machine, right? You talk to young guys today, and they're just like, man, I'm just trapped in lust and pornography, and I hate this stuff, but what, what's happening in my life? Oh, I've been taken, and I've been thrown to a washing machine, and I'm just pop, 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 you know, the thump, the thump stuff, and I, just, and I just have to keep giving into it. Paul says that's how you live before Jesus, that that is not how you're supposed to live now in the reality of Jesus. So you're saying that what Paul's saying, Nathan, is that I have no control over this. Yeah, that's what he's saying right there in that passage. But what's interesting is he goes on and he concludes verse 3 by saying, not only that, but you are doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The word there for doing the desires of the flesh and the mind, whereas you lived that idea of that you weren't responsible in the, in the sense that, hey, it just kept precedence upon you and you just kept giving in. You, just, you felt like you had no control. This word is you had full control. In fact, it's my second favorite Greek word. If you hang out with me, my favorite Greek word is gnosko. My second favorite Greek word is this word right here. It's the Greek word poieo. Uh, poieo, it's, it's often translated doing, did, done, do. It's those kind of words. Uh, and it's contrasted with another Greek word, which is prazo, which also is translated doing, did, or done. And so really quick to help us understand this passage, let me just give you a simple illustration of both of those. I think it'll help. Prazo, again, doing, did, done, Prazo has the idea of doing something, but it's forced. Uh, it's a kind of a have to. It's an obligation. It's a duty. Uh, the idea or the picture, if you want a picture, is like barn painting, 
right? Someone hands you a bucket, they give you a paintbrush, and they say, okay, go paint that wall. And so you go over there, and you're like, oh, here we go. And you're, right, and you're, you're going up and down and up and down. And, and after about 10 minutes, you look at your watch, and you're like, oh, this is going to be all day long. And you're just, now you're doing barn painting, but it's a have to. It's obligation. Poyeo, on the other hand, the picture Poyeo paints is not an obligation or a have to. It's the expression of the inward. Have you ever looked at an artist, right? An artist sleeps in, wakes up late, right? Hits snooze a hundred times. Finally, they go into the studio, open up the big curtains with the floor-to-ceiling windows. They get the canvas all ready. They prepare their paints. And they go, all right, what am I going to paint today? Ah, I don't know. And they, they start dipping and they start, you know, and after a while, this masterpiece is created. And, and they're looking at the canvas and you're, wow, this is amazing. And now you, you go up to them and say, hey, how, how did you do that? And they say, I don't know. But it was somehow the, the inward expression of who I am came out on the paintbrush and whoop, there it is. That's this word. Now, it's used in a lot of positive ways in Scripture, but here it's, using, it's being used in the negative. Paul says, look, I understand that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were living according and under the authority of this, of this prince of the power of the air. And hey, you lived as a son of disobedience. Not only that, but you were like thrown into the washing machine and you were being tumbled around and it, it, you felt like you just had no control, but you just had to keep giving in to sin. But Paul says, do you know what was also taking place in your life? You were inventing ways to sin. That somehow the, that sin nature within you was bubbling up and like an artist, it, it was coming from within you and you're, you were expressing sin because you just couldn't help yourself. That, that, yeah, sin may be a, you know, being pressed upon you, and you may feel like you're in a washing machine at times, but the reality is, do you know what you're also doing? You are also being creative in how you can sin. You are being creative in how you can live in rebellion. You, you were just, this sin was bubbling up from within you, and you were just like, wow, look, look at, hey, look what can come out of my life. Look, look at my masterpiece called sin. And Paul says, yes. You have been doing, creating from the insides of who you were, inventing these desires of the flesh and of the mind. And because of all of that, Paul says, by nature you are children of wrath even as the rest. Do you realize that outside of Jesus there is no hope in our lives? That outside of Jesus, what are we? We're dead. We, we, are, we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, that we live under the authority of the demonic and just we live under that influence and that character, that, that outside of Jesus, what are we doing? We're, we're thrown to a washing machine and it's like we just have to keep giving in to sin whether we want to or not. See, outside of Jesus, I, I invent ways of sinning, that I am so engrossed in sin, I just, I just, ooh, I just have to sin. And it, it is coming out of me and I just, whoa, look at what's happening. <clears throat> Here's an interesting question. Does that still describe your life? Because if that still, if any of that still describes your life, then the solution is Jesus. And <clears throat> we're going to look at this next week, but in verse 4, two of the most powerful words <clears throat> in Scripture are given. And it's, but God. That sounds maybe cheeky, but the reality is, do you realize that Paul is setting up an incredible contrast? And he says, This is what your life looked like. But God. He, he drew a line in the sand and he's grabbed you. He reached into your spiritual death and yanked you and brought you over here. And it's done such a marvelous, incredible work in your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, 
The only way that we can describe what's taking place in you is we have to call you a brand new creature or a creation because you are not the same that you were. Hey, the old has gone, the new has come, that he's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son, as he says in Colossians. Isn't it interesting? Galatians 5 says, Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit. It's that same word. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Do you realize what God has done in your life? There is this battle going on. He wants to take you out of this spiritual deadness and bring you into spiritual life. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were shaking our fists in God's face in rebellion and independence, do you know what God did? He still loved us. And he reached into our spiritual deadness and yanked us into spiritual life. Do you know what the hope is in this whole passage? It is Jesus. And it's the fact that I no longer have to live this way. Paul says, this is how you once lived. You no longer have to live this way. And of course, you would look at this and say, well, that's impossible. (laughs) Like, how on earth is that going to come about? Yeah, you're not going to do this. This is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that he wants to radically change who you are. May we live in this new reality, which is Jesus, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive. For by grace you have been saved. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, the reality is that outside of you, I I am nothing. I am so dead, dark, depressed. And Lord, everything that Paul is saying in this passage is so true of my life outside of you. That it's not just that I'm spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, but but I've aligned myself, I've identified myself with the world, I've placed myself under the authority structure and the character that is against you. That, that, that I, I'm in this washing machine where every time temptation shows up, it's like I just give into it without thinking about it. it it's, I, it's like this, the sin just bubbles up within me and I just, I just can't help myself. I just create and invent new ways to sin. But Lord, thank you that this is not who I am, even though this may have been who I once was. Lord, thank you for the words, but God. Because the reality is that you have radically stepped in and changed who we are. And Lord, I just pray this morning that that if any of this, even shadows of this, are in our life, Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction and that you would radically change and transform our thinking, our living, our attitudes, our motives. For anything that's not done in faith is sin. So Lord, may our whole life be one of faith. May our whole life be one built upon you. May our whole life be focused upon you. May our whole life be sourced by the reality of the Spirit of God who indwells us. Lord, I do not want to be identified by the world. I want to be identified by you. Lord, I I don't want to have this creative flow of sin in my life. I want to have a creative flow of your Spirit in my life. And so, Lord, I just freshly give you permission to do whatever is necessary in my life to bring about a greater reality of Jesus Christ in my life and through my life. For what the world needs is not another Christian who has the name Christian but lives like the world. What the world needs is a Christian who looks like Jesus, 
who talks like Jesus, who acts like Jesus, because we are filled with Jesus through your indwelling of your Spirit. So, Lord, may we live in that reality. We love you. Just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.